that certain adjustments internally have to be made or we do not benefit from the word of God no matter how rich the insights. And so today we may address one of those. Pastor Messick did one of those duties of a pastor that is one of the most difficult, and it's to announce the graduation from the phalanx of members who have marched on with us so faithfully, and that's certainly the case with all three. I always think in every case of Hebrews 11 being written continually by the Holy Spirit, by faith, Thelma, that's Fred Troish's mom, and she, was, she also marched with us in this phalanx as Fred has for just about the full stretch, if I remember correctly, and I do. By faith, Janie, she too remained faithful and steadfast as one who marched forward with us in this phalanx and almost for the full stretch also. And her husband, Bill, was a Marine, but she had the same kind of courage as she marched forward with us. By faith, Janie. And by faith, Larry. Larry Sheasley, a faithful friend. I remember the first time I met him, he did not like me at all, and I was a little bit cringing because I didn't know if he was going to deck me. And I watched... I only say that because I watched one of the most radical transformations I'd ever seen of a man and saw it before my eyes as he continued in the word of God. And he is now with the Lord by faith, Larry. And, of course, Judy remains. And I always called her faithful Judy. There's a reason for that. And so tomorrow, these... Three services, I hope some of you may be able to attend because as the scripture says, the Lord is with those who support me. And I'm very grateful that we have servants of God that are willing to do these jobs. My ability to do certain extra things besides studying and teaching has been quite limited lately for several reasons, but I appreciate the fact that tomorrow Brian Messick will be officiating at Thelma's funeral service. Pastor Jeff Stewart will be officiating at Janie Sherbandi's, and Pastor Craig Brown will be officiating at Larry Sheasley's funeral services. So where these are and wherever these are, I'll tell you one thing. The gospel will be proclaimed with power, and it will go forth as the power of salvation. And I think at memorial services are times in which over the course of the years I've done hundreds of them and have preached the gospel on every occasion and have seen, and you do have what they say all the time, a captive audience for sure, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go there for a standard traditional thing and then their eyes wake up when you preach the gospel to them because some of them have never heard it despite attending church all their lives and so be in prayer for our three servants our three runners who run the race and who are officiating tomorrow and for the families that are of course carrying on today the greek word that you'll see if you get the print out of this message which i recommend there's always if you want to take 15 minutes out of your day and you don't want to listen to this message again, 15 minutes is about what it takes to read one of these messages. A lot longer, some of you spend, have said that you've spent two hours on them looking up the verses. Every verse that I include in these, in these particular written forms of the message are picked for a reason. They're picked under the direction of the Holy Spirit and they're picked for your edification. Today... As I said, I had to perform a surgery on the message on time, two messages really on time, and take out this part of it. But this part I've got to deal with today, and I'm going to call the message Beware, 
of ressentiment. Now, this is a French word. Even though you can put the word resentment right in it from the English, it's not that. It's a French word. It's R-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-M-E-N-T, ressentiment. And the reason I'm going to deal with it today is because Hebrews addresses this in a practical sense. And so the message will be entitled, Beware of Ressentiment, the Bitter Root. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Sometimes we reach forward to let you know where we're going in Hebrews to get some of the practical applications of this heavenly homily. Hebrews is rightly called a heaven-sent homily because it is an example of he whose voice now speaks in heaven, from heaven to us, and we ought to pay heed to it. The whole church of Jesus Christ, the new covenant community in this time, should be paying attention to this heavenly homily, along with, of course, the word of God in its totality. Hebrews 12, 15, my translation, take care. The word is episcopeo here, which is a verb of oversight and careful oversight. Every one of us has that, the pastor especially. <clears throat> take care that no one fails to appropriate the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness, that's Ritza Picrias, R-I-Z-A, P-I-K-R-I-A-S, Ritza Picrias. <clears throat> that means it comes from Deuteronomy 29, 18, and it has to do with a root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit a root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. So let's back up slightly. Take care that no one fails to appropriate, that is, for themselves, the grace of God, lest a root of bitterness grows up to cause trouble, defiling many. The allotted time of Christians time given to us by our faithful creator in this evil age is to be spent redeeming the time, making the most of our time. Redeeming the time is all the more urgent activity for the days are evil. That phrase applies to our time like no other time in what we would call American history for sure. The days are evil. Redeeming the time, Ephesians 5.16, for the days are evil. The implication is that if we don't make the most of our given time, the present evil age, as it's called in Galatians 1.4, these evil days will devour our time, take up our time, and distract us from God-given opportunities. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, says Galatians 1.4. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins precisely to rescue us from this present evil age. And this according to the will of God our Father. Galatians 1.5. Paul's Opening to Galatians, incidentally, is almost a recurrence of the Lord's Prayer, but we'll hit that another time. The present age is called this present evil age in Galatians 1.4 because in contrast to the age that is coming and is already here in Jesus Christ, the present evil age is characterized by evil, by the evils of the human race. In Ephesians 5.16, the days, plural, are evil because evil is not only being done by men, and when I say men, I mean people, but it is also being responded to in kind. The great temptation in the church is to see the blatant evils of our time, but then respond in kind with some kind of human activism. And that's not what God wills at all. And it's many times ends up in being overcome by the evil that you're trying to fight against rather than overcoming the evil by the ultimate supreme good, which is God's love manifested through 
people. This is why we're called, having been awakened, to have Christ shine upon us in Ephesians 5.14. We have been called to redeem the time, for the days are evil. The days were particularly evil when the gospel first burst forth on the scene from Paul, from the four evangelists that wrote the four gospels, from the writer of Hebrews, from James, from Peter, from John, from others. Time, the days were particularly evil because the reaction against the gospel. Our time is particularly a time of days that are evil because God is granting an insight that has been lost for centuries in the traditional church and is now bursting forth on the scene. The son of righteousness is arising with healing in his wings. We redeem the time by not being overcome by evil, but by overcoming evil by the supreme good. That's Romans 12, 21, incidentally. And what contributes... And I'm identifying the perpetrator here. What contributes significantly to the evil character of the age from which God wills to rescue us is a phenomenon called ressentiment. It's a French word, and the French don't pronounce the last consonants in their words, and they don't have accents on any word, even though they have the accent aigu and the accent grave. I remember a few of those things. And taking seven years of French, I still couldn't say, where's the bathroom if I was in Paris? So I didn't do too well in it. But ressentiment. How about a Latin phrase? Quidsit. What is it? Someday I might do a whole series called a quidsit series and just say, what is it? What is ressentiment? We have considered real time. And we ask, quits it. What is real time? Biblically speaking, what is real time? It's time that needs to be redeemed. It's time that's allotted. It's time given. It's a lot limited time span given to us to live in this age, in this time, on this side of the integral universe. It's time ruled over by Jesus, the Lord of time, the king of the ages. It's time, again, that we redeem. Now we deal with a phenomenon called ressentiment. We have to be grateful. We've also said that. This is kind of a string of messages that we're closing the year with. We also have said, be grateful, from Hebrews 12:28. Now let's say, beware of Rasantamah. But what is Rasantamah? Bernard Lonergan, in volume 17 of the Robert Mullaw collection, describes Rasantamah. He spoke three different times at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, when it was really a prestigious place, and I'm sure it still is, but he, Lonergan was invited to speak there three times. It shows you the significance of the appreciation that many scholars had for him. And you can hear these messages or read these messages in volume 17, that was one of the most important volumes I ever read by Lonergan. Listen to Lonergan on the subject of feelings, of all things, and Rasatama. I used to think feelings were passing and thoughts were stable, but it's the opposite, really. Feelings are not transient at all. They can remain. Thoughts can pass, and therefore they have to be repeated. But... Listen to Lonergan on the subject of feelings and ressentiment. This was from his third lecture in 1972 titled, What Are Judgments of Value? The third lecture given at MIT, this is what he said. Feelings, he said, as intentional responses. That's what feelings are, intentional responses are not merely transient. They are not merely limited to the time of apprehending a value. Some are transient, some 
can be repressed, but feelings can be in full consciousness so deep and strong, especially when reinforced, that they channel attention, shape horizons, direct one's life. And the great example of this, of course, is being in love. There are aberrations of feeling. This is where we're going to get into what rasantama means. Aberrations of feelings. Nietzsche borrowed from the French the word rasantama. That's Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher and nihilist. Nietzsche borrowed from the French the word rasantama and gave it a meaning that is his own. Max Scheler, that's S-C-H-E-L-E-R. If you're serious about Rasanama, you can read his book on it. It's, it's brief, but very potent and powerful. Difficult to read, but he did the homework on the subject of Rasanama. Max Scheler, and I think it was a, a book that was published by Duquesne University. I'm not sure. Max Scheler modified that meaning, and Lonergan says, I'm following Shaler, who considered Rasantama as a re-feeling, re-feeling, of a specific value clash with someone else's value qualities, someone else who is superior physically or intellectually or morally or spiritually. The response is not an attack on the person, but a constant belittling of that value quality. We have this even in children. Someone is smart, and you know they're smarter than you. I'll use myself as an example. I know there were a lot of kids smarter than me in school, probably more smarter than me than were not as smart as me, and all the way through school it was that way. Now, there's two ways to respond. You can either appreciate the one who you know is smarter than you, or you can devaluate them and say, well, and then the value that you hate is their intelligence. And so you say, eh, it doesn't matter if you're intelligent. It doesn't matter if you get good grades. That's all. That's Rasantama. And that is the despising of someone who has outshone you somewhere and somehow, and therefore a belittling of the values that they hold or that they express. So I'll go on to say this. He said, the response is not an attack on the person, but a constant belittling of that value quality, making out that it's not important or that it is overrated. Without being aggressive, it can spread over a whole lifetime. This is this rasantama. It can spread over a whole lifetime. Beware of a root of bitterness, lest it grows up. And that anger is neither repudiated nor directly expressed. It can lead to a distortion of a whole scale of values and can spread not only in an individual, but in whole group, people, social class, and over a whole epoch. So that you could actually say the age of Rasantamon in a certain place. Rasantamon is the last death rattle of a culture, I would say. But here's what he says, and this is where it's going to get eminently practical for us, and I'm going to address it, as I always do, from the scriptures. In an eminently practical piece of advice from Lonergan, he says, finally, it is better to take full cognizance of one's feelings, even when they are abominable. Now, before we go any further with that, I think one of the most abominable feelings that I've had to grapple with is self-condemnation from unresolved guilt. That's abominable. And I've wrestled with it. And how have I overcome it? By the supreme good of God's grace. But then he says, to advert to them, that means to turn your attention to them, than to try to repress them or snap them off. It's better to face them fully and do what one can about them. All right, now, there's a biblical way of handling this. Examples of rasanama, I'm going to give a couple more examples. They're, they're feelings that I've seen held against my mentors, Bart 
and Lonergan. I've seen both of these men, either in writing or by people, disparaged and belittled because they obviously outshone every other theologian, and they certainly outshone the people who criticized them but never read them. That's what always fascinates me. And Barth or Lonergan themselves then serve as examples of the objects of someone's resentment. They are men who were superior intellectually to most preachers and theologians. They are held with ressentiment and written off by so-called scholars and preachers and pastors who have never seriously read them and just have a second-hand opinion and who have certainly not paid the same price. And so they wrote off Barth as called neo-orthodox. And I always wondered what that meant when I had two pastors tell me he's just neo-orthodox, which means that's it. Don't listen. And I finally figured out that neo-orthodox means that he recovered some of the original patristic scholars who taught about apocatastasis. And so they despise the value of studying really, really hard. I remember one man saying, someone told him that their pastor studies for like eight hours a message because they were talking about yours truly. And this person says, you should never spend more than 15 minutes studying. And I thought, well, hmm. So if that goes any further, then someone may despise the value of studying. And that's a rasantamon. And therefore, anyone who does all that studying, they write off. And they did like they did to Paul. Much study has made you mad, obviously. And that sometimes is true. <laughs> no, OK. They wrote off Lonergan as a renegade. And if you want to think about it in the past a little bit, they wrote off Paul. The leaders in Jerusalem wrote off Paul as a kind of a renegade and a heretic, someone that you don't listen to. And so they maligned him, and they maligned, therefore, the gospel of the grace that he proclaimed. That's Rasantamon. Thomas Sowell, whom I saw interviewed last night, Pam and I watched the interview of him. Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. A man of staggering intellect is held to their sentiment by inferior minds because they toe the line of the Marxism which Sowell tried and found wanting. He was a young black student who was a Marxist by his own admission, and yet he decided he'd think things through and think critically th things through and think through what is meant by these things called, these catchwords called social justice and all this Marxist stuff. And now he is one of the most conservative thinkers. And I mean by conservative, he holds the values dear that are held by the scriptures and by the Constitution, the US Constitution. He's a man of staggering intellect who is written off by men and women of inferior intellect and inferior morality and inferior minds because they toe the line of Marxism, which Sowell tried and found wanting and proves it. He's 93 years old now, and he's written a book recently that I think is worth reading. Going back again in time, the prophets, almost to a man, who were sent to Jerusalem time and time again. They were beaten, abused, maligned, sometimes crucified and killed over and over again. The prophets, they were the objects of the ressentiment of apostate religionists. Of course, the ultimate example of a target of ressentiment is Jesus. And it even says, out of envy, which is the twin of ressentiment, they delivered or handed Jesus over to be crucified out of envy. Envy is another word for resentment. Even Pontius Pilate knew that. Even Pontius Pilate perceived that what moved the religious leaders in Jerusalem to crucify Jesus was resentment. Matthew 27, 18. They didn't call it that back then because there wasn't French. Mark 15, 10 also records it. Biblically speaking, in fact, in terms of Hebrews, rasanamat can be defined as a toxic root of bitterness, growing up and contaminating many. 
Rasanama, the poisonous root, is expressed when it grows up. Rasanama is an unexpressed feeling, but it becomes expressed when it grows up. It springs up because then it defiles, contaminates, affects negatively many people, transfers and transforms them, transfers that root into them. This happens all the time. I saw it even in the 60s when professors who had Rasantama transferred it to the students. And there was hatred of the man, they called him, or hatred of the United States of America, hatred of the military, spitting at the Vietnam veterans when they came back home. You ask them why they do those things, it's Rasantama. Do they know why? No, they can't express it in thought. But some sick professor transferred his Rasantama to others. And there was, in, when I went to school in 69, there was a bitter hatred personally against Jesus Christ. We had one philosophy professor who liked to smoke weed in the class, that's way back in 69, who maligned Jesus Christ and built up Mao Zedong and said, you can do your papers this semester on anyone you want. And I went up to him afterwards and said, I would like to do my paper on the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I consider to be reality. And he, he kind of chuckled and went, oh, well, go ahead. I think that was later on, that might have been 71 or 72. I walked away from college six weeks short of graduation because of tremendous conflicts, finished three years later. But there was quite a bit of conflict there. Six professors in one year, five out of the six attacked Jesus Christ and the scriptures and faith in class that I heard in one semester. One guy tried to make his Christian faith known to us, one of those professors, one. And he stumbled all over the place because he knew he wasn't supposed to do it, and so he just kind of half did it. But so biblically speaking, Rasandaman is a toxic root of bitterness, and it's expressed when it grows up. You can see Rasanamant all grown up in those who protest based on feelings of envy, anger, and irrational hatred vented toward Israel or Jews. It didn't just suddenly appear in the street, you know. It fomented in the classrooms of universities and colleges, including the so-called Ivy League ones. But if you look at John 4.22 and Romans 9.5, Jesus Christ himself said, salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. And in Romans 9.5, from the Jews, Paul said, whom some people like to malign and hate, came Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is God, blessed over all, the savior of all mankind, came from the Jews. Do you know who you're venting your ressentiment against when you hate the Jews? But then all of a sudden it's about the people in Gaza that you suddenly care for because you don't care about the millions of people enslaved in China, you don't want to even think about that, or the Christian churches that are being bulldozed and Christian pastors murdered across the world and Christians being butchered and persecuted and prosecuted all over the place. Well, all of a sudden, something Israel does offends you. The Jews. Why is it the Jews that are always perennially hated and not other people groups over and over and over again? Because the venting of Rasandamat toward the Jews is a satanic hatred of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. That's why. That's what's coming next. That's what's coming next. The venting of the hatred toward a person. And, of course, anyone who names his name. You have no idea how far we are into tyranny in this country. You have no idea because we're like the boiling frog. The, the water's already boiling. We just don't know it. Now, often 
Demonstrators can't articulate what they're protesting, sometimes violently, because their actions are rooted not so much in thought as in feelings. What do you see reporters, why are you here? What are you protesting? Well, the Jews, Israel. Why? <laughs> because, you know, that's, they're like the mob who cried out, crucified Jesus. Why? What did he do to you? What bad? Tell me the bad things he did. Jesus said, for what good thing are you persecuting me? <laughs> what good thing have I done that made you that mad? Because that's all he did was go about doing good. And he was anointed of God to do good. Filled with their santamon. There are other words for resantamon in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 7.1, there is malusmos or malismos, M-O-L-U-S-M-O-S, called the pollution of the human spirit from which the beloved of God must be purified, according to Paul, on the way to complete practical sanctification in the fear of God. There is ruparia, R-U-P-A-R-I-A, in James 1.21. It accompanies the superfluity of malice. That's a resantamon. that must be put aside in order to receive the implanted word which is able to save the soul in James 1.21. There is the root of animosity or bitterness or hostility that we looked at in Hebrews 12:15. It warns about it, warns us about it. The voice who speaks from heaven, this heavenly homily, warns you about it, warns me about it. One of the greatest things my father ever did for me was he didn't, I didn't know he was there, but I was watching a TV show and there were some pretty obnoxious, wealthy people in the movie, and I remember hollering out, I said, I hate rich people, and my father heard me say that, and we weren't rich. We had a coal stove, we paid 35 bucks a month for rent, and in a rented house, and we had, uh, we were very happy people, but we weren't really rich, and I said, I hate rich people. My father turned me inside out, upside down, in every which way you can imagine, and told me, you have hate in yourself, and you must watch that and, and do away with that hate. He blasted me, and yes, guess what? Children need to be blasted, and you know what you know? When they are blasted, you know why they're receiving it? Because they shrivel up inside, feel the wince, feel the pain, feel the blast of the wrath of their parent. And that changed me for the rest of my life. It changed me for the rest of my life. Jesus, beholding the rich man, loved him. My father dared not to spare my little feelings. And I see it all the time. I hate what is going on right now. It's not Rasanama. It's just hate what's going on now because... People are, are so afraid of hurting the little darling's feelings by a little rebuke that they have to always say, well, you were doing so wonderful. That was so wonderful how you said the F word with such pronunciation. The pronunciation was perfect. You know, that kind of thing. They ought to be taken, let's just say, to the verbal woodshed. And if a person does not discipline their children, it's because they hate their children and because they love themselves and want to spare themselves from the feeling of sentimental sadness when they see the wincing and you know that you feel, it's like all the juices in your body go. You're not that, my father, my, my dad saved me from a root of hatred. And I, I'll never forget that moment because it was one of the best moments of my life because it was one of the worst moments of my life. And my father brought it to me. He did it again when he caught me smoking at age 11, but that's another story. Now, unfortunately, I always have sadness on my mother's birthday because my dad caught me smoking on my mother's birthday, <laughs> October 4th. 1962. What an idiot I left that. Never mind. But 
There is the root of animosity of Hebrews 12.15. The Lord from heaven, his voice warns us against it. The term ritzapikria, perhaps most of all, describes this French term in Hebrews 12.15, rasantama. Growing up is what it does, sadly, if you don't check it. Growing up, the toxicity of this hidden animosity defiles many. Everyone you talk to gets treated to your little rasantamon. It happens in churches, it ruins churches. It happens in generations, it destroys generations. It happens in epochs of time and destroys civilizations. If America goes down, it will go down under a tsunami of rasantamon more than anything else. So, growing up, this root defiles many. To hate the Jews, for example, which happens to be a big fad now, is to hate the salvation that God has appointed to come from the Jews, is to hate the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is not only the Messiah of Israel, but the Savior of the world. And the only mediator between God and man, the one whom God elected as the representative of God to mankind for all human beings and the representative of man, that is, all human beings, to God. To hate the Jews and to wish for their extinction is to presume that God has rejected his people Israel and to miss out on the whole message of Hebrews 11 in which Paul says God has not abandon his people and ends up saying he has shown mercy upon all through those people that he did not abandon by the Messiah coming through them to be the means of the majestic mercy of God to all humankind. It is to presume against the nature of the God who is the gracious God. To hate the Jews is to assume that God forsook them, like the Nazis assumed that God forsook Israel so they could treat Israel any way they wanted, to treat Jews any way they wished, because they assumed the presumption was against the nature of God who did not forsake his people after the flesh, Israel, the Jews. So to hate the Jews is to presume against the nature of the God who is the gracious God, who determined himself to be for Israel, in Ezekiel 36, 9. And in being for Israel, you can't disconnect this, being for Israel to be for all of humanity. If God is not for Israel, he is against all humanity. But God is a gracious God who has chosen not to be without us, but with us. He chose to be God, not without us. That's why he's called Emmanuel on Christmas, God with us. And not only was he with us, all of humanity, but he was born in a stall for animals and was with animals to illustrate that he would also redeem animal kind. And at the end of his time in the wilderness and during his time in the wilderness of temptation, he was with the wild beast to show that he will also redeem all the wild beasts of all times by his redemptive act. Not only all humanity, but I think it says somewhere that the lion, a wild animal, will lie down with a domesticated lamb. God's care is not only for all the people that he redeemed in Nineveh, but for all of their animals, all of animal kind. That's God, the gracious God. So, he is the God who chose to be for Israel and in being for Israel to be for all of humanity in all of its times, to be for all of creation of all the integral cosmos, heavens and earth, and all the beings therein. Moreover, to hate the Jews is to hate ourselves. For God has imprisoned all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles of all stripes together in one maximum security facility in order to have mercy on them all.
Romans 11.32. We are all bundled together in the majesty of God's mercy. We have all been reconciled to God in Christ. When Christ, at the termini of the ages, gave himself to put away sin, to take away sin right out of the cosmos and its effects on all creation. So this root of bitterness grows up into a bitter tree in which the foul fowls of the air roost, speaking of spiritual beings that are demonic. Rasantamon, a bitter root, flourishes in an age of digital barbarism, a tasty term that was coined by a man named Mark Helprin, one of our great American novelists. A tsunami of grown-up Rasantamon threatens to carry America and Europe into the abyss. It mocks or sneers at the Bible, which it does not understand at all. It destroys the landmarks of the past, censors the classics of literature, makes mathematics into meaninglessness, and language and literacy into nonsensical gibberish, destroying the possibility of legible writing and comprehensive conversation, the bedrock of human understanding. So how do we get rescued from the evil of Rasantamat? God wills that we be rescued from Rasantamat. Because the only true God is a gracious God, his will is a gracious intention. He is a God who saves, in Psalm 68:20. His intention, therefore, is a saving intention. Because God loves the world, his saving intention is a universally saving intention. Indeed, God has already reconciled the world to himself in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19. Again, because God is a gracious God and the God who saves, he saves strictly by his grace. We know God is a gracious God, for he has willed to be such. He has willed to be the God of all grace, the gracious God. He has willed himself to be for and not against man and all of creation. He has determined himself to be for man and determined man to be for himself. God has elected himself to be eternally with human beings and not without them. He will not be God without you. He will not be God without us. He will not be God without the integral cosmos, the whole of the universe and all the creation and creatures within it. He will not be God without human beings. He chose in his eternity not to be God without human beings, not to be God without man. And in fact, in choosing to be man, be with man, he chose to be the man, Emmanuel. He chose not to be a God without man. God went so far in this direction as to turn to man whom he created, as he also turned to Israel in a time of love. Unending love, Ezekiel 16.8. I'll say that again. God chose to turn to man. Most preachers will tell you that we must turn to God. This preacher will tell you that God has turned to man. He has turned to us. He has determined himself to be for us. He has elected himself before he elected human beings. He has elected himself to be for mankind. He's elected himself to be the gracious God, the God of all grace. He chose not to be a God without man. He went so far in that direction as to turn to man whom he created, as he also turned to Israel in a time of love, unconditional and unrestricted love, uncreated and unlimited love for man, for all of humanity, for all of creation. Emmanuel, God with us, was with the animal kingdom in the stall where he was born and again in the wilderness during his temptation. And when he rules visibly and universally, the lion will lie down with the lamb. And those who were at enmity in this life will be friends. Preachers often emphasize how men must turn to God. But I think what must be emphasized first is that God has turned to man. 
God has turned to man first. God made man and he made woman from the first man. God has human beings in mind so much that God became man in Jesus Christ. And his name is called Emmanuel, God with us. To turn away from him who called us by the grace of Christ, as Paul addresses in Galatians 1, is to turn away from the God who turned to us in Jesus Christ and turned us to himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this world so that when he turned to the Father in perfect obedience, we would be in him and with him as he did it. In the language of Hebrews, to turn from him is to fail to appropriate the grace of God, which is to neglect the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see Jesus in you if you harbor resentment. Everyone will see Jesus in you if it's rooted up, uprooted, and destroyed from the root beneath and the fruit above. And grace is manifested through you. We don't fight the evils of the human race with our own evil reaction, which is to pay back evil with evil. Evil wins when you pay it back in kind. This is actually to be overcome by the same evil. Instead, we overcome evil by the supreme good. We take up Jesus' yoke in response to his invitation to participate in him and with him. A yoke is the Greek word zugos. It's a bar or frame of wood by which two draft animals are joined at the head or neck in order to work together effectively in pulling a plow, a harrow, or a wagon. So to take on Jesus' yoke is to participate in God in you, willing and doing of his own good pleasure. This is how we humble our heart. God's good pleasure is a faith that works by love. This is how we humble our heart. This is how we glorify God in our bodies that were purchased at immeasurable price. This is how we walk in the light while we have the light. While we have the time, lest the rolling blackout that's overcoming our nation and Europe even now, rolling blackout overtakes us as it's overtaken so many in our time. Not least those who are caught in the tsunami of evil in our streets, expressing the despicable ressentiment that is called anti-Semitism, which is just a polite word. Anti-Semitism can apply to anyone who is Semitic. It can apply to you hating Arabs or Jews or anybody from the Middle East, the family of Shem. So that's a polite term. What it really is, is hatred and resentment toward Jews, toward Israel, and therefore to the God of Israel and the Israel of God. A resentment and perennial is which is perennially and specifically scapegoating Jews because of terror at facing one's own sinfulness, sinfulness and complicity with evil. That's why the Nazis killed millions of them. It is scapegoating Jews because of terror at facing one's own sinfulness and complicity with evil. The recurrent rassonement growing into protest and then violence against the Jews is a stark and ugly instance of hostility against God and his Christ. But this is a hostility that was slaughtered, an enmity that was killed with the Lamb of God at Calvary, killed in the body of his flesh through death. As Jesus suffered death, the wages of sin for everyone without exception. This is the reality that is eternity in our hearts in Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is the reality that is the end of Resantama, the total demolition of sin and the annihilation of death. This is the reality of the reconciliation of the world that has been brought about by God in Christ, of which generations are ignorant in their cherished 
grudges, their phantom ideologies, their fantastic notions, their haughty sense of self-importance, their feeling of being better than others, which causes them to smugly dismiss people who are often wiser, smarter, and more experienced than they are. Thank the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that the just and mysterious law of the cross transforms even the evil of Rasantamon so that we can be transformed, as Paul was, from Rasantamon to being a lover of God and of our fellow man. The supreme good is the being in love with God, the being in Christ, controlled by his love, comprehending with all saints what is the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of Christ, which surpasses merely human ways of knowing. During our lives, in real time, in our limited, allotted time, in our given time, allotted and given by the God of all grace, the time over which Jesus is Lord, the time in which he is our contemporary. Let's be dedicated to coming to the knowledge of his love, which surpasses knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God. Rasanamon is the evil in men's hearts. Jesus Christ is the reality that is the supreme good into which God transforms the evils of the human race. So I will say in closing, there is a statement being made in a selfish culture, especially one on the way to demise. What about my feelings? Okay, what about my feelings? What if among my feelings, I have the feeling of a sentiment towards someone, some thing, some culture, some people? The way we face feelings like resentment in ourselves is... Letting the word of God be the critic of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. If resonamant is an intentional response, then let the word of God be a critic of that intentional response of the heart. Let it be a judge of the judgments of our values, an evaluator of our intentional responses. Do our intentional responses consist of bitter hatred, envy, jealousy, anger, wrath, ill will? All of those are feelings that Paul mentions in Ephesians 4.31. Another word that wasn't available then was schadenfreude. You'll see it in print. It's specifically the pleasure resulting from someone else's misfortunes. Pleasure in someone else's misfortunes. We face these feelings. We allow God to grant you repentance. These are the things that warp a whole personality. These are the feelings, the intentional responses to values that shape a culture, that distort a culture, that warp a generation. And we are to hold forth the word of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, says Philippians 2, 15 and 16. So what do we do about these feelings? Lonergan said we must do something about them. That's not enough. That's fine to say, and that's true. But what do we do about feelings like Rasanama that we harbor? Well, we let the word of God expose them. My father did the job of the word of God for me about my burgeoning bitterness toward rich people. Now the word of God does it. Let the word of God expose them, shine its light upon them, slay them so that we can put them off like a snake sheds its unnecessary skin. We put off Rasantamont, put it off because it's a deed of the old man. We put off the old man with his deeds, with his intentional responses, with his intentionality, with his mentality, with his sentimentality with his resentment. We put off resentment with the old man who cherishes such feelings to the demise of one's own soul and the contamination of those around us. We embrace these feelings sometimes like Cleopatra embraced the asp that poisoned and killed her. We're fools to do that. We put them off. We put on as God's elect, and I love these two verses back to back, these two passages in Colossians 3.12 to 15, 
along with 1 Peter 3.8. Notice these verses back to back as part of the solution about what to do about my feelings. It says, we put off these feelings and we put on as those elect in Jesus Christ, the elect one indeed, feelings of compassion. It says feelings, bowels there means feelings, feelings of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. And above all, it says, put on love, the being in love, which holds all these divinely produced qualities together in an intrapsychic unit integrity, an esoteric harmony, as the Spartans called it, peace. Nobody's, nobody has peace and rasantama in the same house of the heart. Love, among other things, is also an intentional response. It's one that is not transient, but one which under the direction of the Lord, the Spirit continues. Let's receive grace and be grateful, says Hebrews 12, 28. That's where we're going. In order to serve God acceptably, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved after all. Let brotherly love, Philadelphia, continue, a word that's also used in 2 Peter 1, 7 and 8, as well as 1 Peter 3, 8, as we're going to see. Jesus beholding the rich young ruler, of course, if he watched TV and saw the rich people, he would have beheld them and loved them. I beheld them and hated them, and my father corrected me. Jesus beheld him and loved him, and that means Jesus did harbored the opposite of ill will and harbored the highest and best will for him. The man who went away sad ended up happy. That man could have been Paul himself. There's a good reason to believe. There are 40 reasons to believe and a few not to believe it, but it doesn't matter. We know he's part of the saved whole of humanity. So Peter says this, finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, having brotherly love, Philadelphia, like Hebrews 13.1, with feelings of compassion, he says, humble-minded, not repaying evil for evil, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, for you were called to do this so that you would inherit a blessing. What a way to think. So to pick up on this theme in recent increments in Hebrews, let me just sum up and say this. There is, in short, no time in our allotted time, in our given time, in our real time, nor in our beginning or ending of time, nor certainly in the simultaneity of all time and times. There is no time for Rasantamon. And the reason I'm doing this today is because if there is time for it, you will not benefit from the rest of our teaching of Hebrews until we're done with Hebrews, which God knows when that will be. You will not benefit from it. That's why the Bible says, put off all the superfluity of malice and receive the engrafted word. It doesn't say, and receive the engrafted word and put off all malice. It says, put off the malice, put off the rasadamon, then receive the implanted word. And the implanted word in your soul will save your soul from resodomont rearing its head, growing up into a bitter root. And it will save a lot more people around you too. To have and hold resodomont is to have no time to glorify God in our bodies, which belong to God by purchase, by an inestimable price paid. So instead of resodomont, let us not grieve God's Holy Spirit by it who sealed us for the day of redemption. Let's let all bitterness, Paul said very deliberately, let all bitterness, anger and wrath, insult and slander be removed from us along with all wickedness and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God forgave us in Christ. Be kind day isn't a day of the year that takes away from Veterans Day, no. Be kind is a command for Christians over our whole time, our allotted time, our given time, our time ruled over by Jesus Christ in this life. 
Let's be imitators, therefore, of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. You and I are not our own to harbor Rasantamat. If you harbor Rasantamat, you're announcing to God that you are your own and you have the right to harbor it. But we are not our own, nor am I my own. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The, the measure of my misery is the measure that I claim myself to be my own. The measure of my happiness is the measure that I recognize that I am not my own, that I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I'm a slave to no man and a slave to not the old man in me either or the old man in you either. I've had more problems in the past years as a minister with being challenged by the old man in others that likes to panic and be hysterical and be fearful and frightful and heap guilt on my, in my way and heap this on me. I've been more challenged by the old man in others that I have to put off than my old old man sometime that I have to put off. When I say old man, I don't mean my old man Don Knapp. I thank God for him. Now, the cure for the growing up of Rissantamont is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the dominion over time, over now, over then, and to all tomorrows, the Lord of the living and the dead, our Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and amen. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness today. That was a tough one, and opposed quite a bit, so... Uh, I appreciate your attentiveness today. Thank you very much.